The apex of the many days of preparation was at hand. The banquet hall glittered and shone in the evening sunlight. All present had been appropriately awed by the mural, as well as the special decor. Covering the labkeys were satin cloths of light blue, ringed at the base by embroideries of white doves in varying poses. Two finely carved renditions cuddled about one another in the classic lover's pose graced the centers, to signify Tyla and Diwali's coming together. At each seat exquisite, handmade flowers serviced as place marks. Hummingbird Palace's finest, most delicately fired salvers were beautifully arranged before them. Long, highly buffed wooden tables were laden with a diverse assortment of tantalizing dishes that would be placed shortly after the Queen and Lord Prince Ney made their entrance. The servers stood at the ready, two per table. Each of the red who would stand post had been chosen by Anami, and Custa had seen to those on point at the doors and about the room. He and Anami would stand the Queen's table themselves. This night, the doors stood open to the soft breeze. It carried a hint of the blooming flowers in the gardens, detectable even beneath the heavy aroma of the food. In the front of the hall, a dais had been constructed for Tyla's presentation of Diwali to the gathering. Nothing had been forgotten, nor left to chance. All was in place. Everyone in the hall scanned about for some sign that would indicate the arrival of the royal couple. For the guards, this would be a signal from Jammer, who stood at the great doors. And at last it came. He inclined his head slightly at Ovani, who stood and made her way to the dais. The queen was on her way. Tilda. Tyla. Diwali called softly into the gently lit library between their suites. Realizing that she had not yet ventured from her rooms, he perched on the edge of one of the tables with a tolerant sigh. Gazing out of the window without truly seeing, he wondered what she would be wearing when she appeared. As with her ceremonial gown, she had insisted that he not see it until she was wearing it. He himself was garbed in the full dress of his status, something he had not done often. Being betrothed to the queen offered him the additional privilege of openly wearing the hue he had so boldly demanded on that first day. Beneath the flowing blue cloak held to his shoulders by twin Nubian battle insignia clasps, his garments hung in a pleasingly fitted manner from Dashiki to Kufi. Red, sporadically crossed with bolts of blue to match the cloak, and trimmed with pure spun gold threading. On his feet, red tarreps, made of cloth and hide, complemented the ensemble, and the silver staff completed it, almost. To him however the most important addition to his garment ensemble was the braided and beaded headband which held his locks in place. Of red and gold, the article had been given to him by Tyla the eve before. She had informed him, in partial jest, that this would be an indication to all that here was the man to whom Tyla Olsk would pledge her life to in the ceremony all had come to witness, and that he was hers alone. All being said, Diwali had to acknowledge even to himself that he was quite the sight to behold. An opinion with which Tyla, who now stood in the doorway of the reading room, heartily agreed. Her silent entry had afforded her a few moments to take in his splendid appearance, and she did so with great appreciation, and a flash of memory of them before the mirror. The leg which he had placed casually on the table gave her a wonderful view of the tapered muscle there, and she fought down the instant heat that sprung into her awareness. Recalling how he had felt in her arms only hours before did not aid in this. With a slight smile and a touch of desire in her voice, she spoke to him softly, one so specially attired should not be standing here all alone. Having been engrossed in his own thoughts of her, and their afternoon, he was caught unawares and started a bit at the sound of her voice. Yet when he turned about to answer his reply faded to nothingness as his gaze fell upon her. In silent awe, he stood for a better view. At last he found his voice, had I not known you before this moment, I would already be an undying love. He came to her, halting a foot or so before he reached her, wanting to relish this experience. My darling, you are so, irresistibly, irrationally beautiful. She had the grace to blush, lowering her eyes. 
he thought that it made her all the more lovely. Her termy the gown she wore, was the exact shade of the blue of his cloak, with bolts through it to match the red of his garment. Beginning on one shoulder, it crossed her breasts in the same manner as the garments of the star guard, yet this was the only bit of solid fabric. From a point high on her midriff, the remainder of the cloth fell in loosely overlapping strips, dozens of them, all the way to the floor. They shifted separately with each sway of her firm rear and soft hips, somehow at the same time managing to provide only the barest glimpse of her tawny skin. The material shimmered with her every movement, her every breath, and she herself absolutely shone with youthful health. Her entire manner bespoke her royalty. In her finely braided hair, her crown perched delicately, and glittered even in the low light of the fireplace. The hoops which lay against her cheeks matched it perfectly, and complemented the bangles which graced her, typically, unshod feet. On her wrist was the only article which did not glimmer in gold. A bracelet, fashioned entirely of blue stones that grew outward from the very bauble she had given him in their youth, and that one kind guard had returned to his possession at Ronya. Diwali had presented her with it when she had given him the headband and, like her gift his was meant to identify her as being already bound to him. He was still rooted in place by the emotion which overtook him at the realization that, in a very short while this beautiful woman would become his wife. Thus his voice was gravelly with emotion as he spoke again, I believe, that we should leave. He raked his eyes over her lustily, then closed them briefly before continuing now. Should we remain here much longer, I will not claim responsibility for my actions. Smiling in a way that let him know she understood his meaning, she nonetheless slipped into his arms, sliding hers about his waist and caressing the small of his back as she answered coyly, I see no evidence of such my lord, you seem quite in control of your, ah, faculties at the moment. I desire evidence to you. He quipped, dipping his head and nuzzling a sensitive spot on her neck. This elicited a soft squeal from her as she ducked and twisted away, raising her hands in surrender. I jest. I jest. I believe you. He advanced, reaching for her outstretched hands. Quick as a cat, she spun away and ran, giggling lightly, to the door. He caught up with her in the corridor and, laughing merrily, grasped her about the waist and drew her to him for a kiss. At last, they realized that the guards were working mightily not to laugh, which of course set them into more gales of laughter. Arm in arm, they set off down the corridor. Nubian Sun. Book 2, Here in the Land of Nubia. LPJ Publishing Enterprises. Nightriders Publishing. All rights reserved.